This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Good Thursday afternoon, and I will be returning to the topic of the merged party. Well, I mean the announcement of the plans to merge the party. The UCP, yes, yes, we've heard all the bad jokes about that, although I think Jason Kenney was saying to Rob Breckenridge in the last half hour, it's just a working name, we can change it. So I will return to that topic at 3.30. Just wanted to put a little bit of distance between it. So definitely uh, continue to send your text, 403-974-8255. This half hour, though, I wanted to talk to talk about uh, an issue that we have talked on a number of different levels. And yesterday afternoon, if you had a chance to listen to me in the afternoon, I was talking about a study that was looking at using cannabis to wean people off of crack cocaine. And in looking up some background on that, I I found another, some research into uh, the use of plants to be able to be used to stop people from their opiate addiction. And I thought, you know, we have talked so much about fentanyl and the opiate crisis. And there's lots of different ways to attack that story as well. But we often say people go down that awful road or rabbit hole of an addiction because they were maybe prescribed it to deal with some pain and then they can't get off it. And so what what can we do to get them off of that dependency? And we've heard of methadone when it comes to um, heroin addictions. And this article, though, that I was looking at talked about using uh, psychotropic plants. And that's why I wanted to bring in Mark Hayden, a public health researcher at the University of British Columbia, has a bit of background knowledge on one particular plant that I'm talking about here. Mr. Hayden, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Angela. It's a pleasure. And uh, this is, first of all, how do you define psychotropic plants? Well, a plant that has a, often, to be clear, they often have some kind of psychedelic properties. Mm -hmm. So a plant that influences the mind, but really the ones that we're talking about here are often better described as psychedelic plants. Psychedelic plants. Now... Is cannabis a psychedelic plant? No, we're talking about the article that you're referring to talked about ayahuasca and ibogaine. Mm -hmm. Um, Cannabis is in a classification by itself. It really doesn't fit with any other drug classifications. And so ibogaine and the other one that you said, which is much faster than I was able to write down. is ayahuasca. Oh, that's how it is. I saw it in print and I was thinking, how do you say that? So what is ibogaine and ayahuasca? Well, ibogaine comes from Africa. It's been used ceremonially in African spiritual context for centuries, and it's been introduced to North America, (coughs) excuse me, um, as an addictions treatment, and specifically for opiate addiction, for opiate withdrawals. It seems to be remarkable in its its ability to reduce or take away um, opiate withdrawals. It's, It's very unusual from that perspective. Ibogaine, though, is that the, the chemical from the, a plant then? Is the, the plant's not called ibogaine, is it? Uh, ibogaine is the, the chemical that's extracted from the plant. Iboga mm. is the plant itself. All right, so that sounds good on the surface. You're telling yeah. me that if I'm taking ibogaine, I may be able to get off my dependency on an opiate. Well, that's the positive. That's the good news. Yeah. Um, it, it's not quite as simple as that. The experience of taking ibogaine is 
can be profound for people, but it's also really challenging. Um, climbing Mount Everest um, is a profound experience, but it's also challenging. And in some ways, the two are related. Um, Ibogaine is a 36-hour experience, um, and you, you can't do it alone. It requires supervision of somebody who's really done a very detailed assessment and then understands how to manage people in that context and then also debriefs the end discussion is also really important. So it takes about five days. It's a five-day experience. If you think about preparation, having the experience, and talking about it afterwards. So that's not simple. Um, it's not a party drug. Nobody's ever done it and said, hey, you've got to take this to their friends. Um, you're essentially immobilized for about 36 hours. But what happens if you go in with a, a significant heroin dependency, often there's a pretty significant shift both in the physical dependency and in fundamentally how you're thinking about the experience. I had a client once who took it, and he described, and he'd been addicted for 10 years, like heroin addiction, methadone, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. He had slowly deteriorated under my care. And he walked out at the end of an Ibogaine experience, and he said he looked at the street of his life, and he looked up one way, and he saw addiction, and he looked up the other way, and he saw recovery. And he actually felt that he had a choice for the first time in decades, and he chose to walk the path of recovery. And that was while he was under the influence of Ibogaine? Well, that was sitting in my office afterwards. Oh, okay. You know, he'd gone down to Mexico and he'd done it. And right. he'd come back up and, you know, a few days after the experience, he was sitting in my office saying, actually, what he said to me was kind of interesting. He said, I'm not an addict anymore. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? And um, he'd withdrawn from a really high dosage of methadone. And methadone is really hard to withdraw from. I mean, methadone has significant advantages and disadvantages, as do all substances. But one of the disadvantages of methadone is it's so tough to withdraw from. And he'd withdrawn from 150 milligrams of methadone in about five days going down to Mexico. Now, there's a dark side to this as well. I can't just sing the praises of anything without reflecting right. on the, on the, on the, diff the challenges. It needs to be supervised, it needs to be assessed, and one of the assessment criteria is, is cardiovascular fitness. There's a fellow named Ken Alper who's been assessing the ibogaine deaths that have happened over the last 40 years, because periodically people have died taking the, taking the substance. Mm -hmm. And he initially said it had to do with alcohol withdrawal or heroin overdose or some other thing, and slowly as he got more data, he actually said that to some, some people who are cardiovascularly compromised, and often the people that we're talking about in this population are really not fit people, right. um, they, it, it can be toxic for them, and they can actually die. Um, it's not common, but it's a pretty significant response that we really need to be very thoughtful about how it's managed. Oh, and you're right. As, and when you're talking about the cardiovascular health of a person, I thought uh, we're dealing with probably hardcore addicts who are trying to get off. So yeah. I, I can imagine what their health has, the beating they've taken on their body. Yeah. So I can't imagine them having very strong hearts. Yeah. So that's certainly a problem. Now, the people, the group of people who, who work with Ibogaine have certainly been looking at this closely, and one of the models that's emerged as a result is taking much lower dosages for longer periods of time. I haven't seen any research on that, but it's certainly of interest as to how to work with this as a, as a healing tool, because quite frankly, we need all the tools that we can get. And actually, uh, Dr. Hayden, I should have started off with that because uh, I, I said in my introduction, you, you hear of methadone for, for heroin. For Can methadone also be used for fentanyl? Because um, yes, it's, I mean, it's still an opiate, correct? You, you, essentially, what methadone is a long-acting 
um, opiate, so it becomes stable in the bloodstream, and it takes away withdrawals. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, it is replacing a shorter-acting opiate with a longer-acting opiate. Mm. And often, if you take enough opiates, you become physically dependent on them, and so providing somebody with some kind of stable dosage of an opiate can be a really good thing and can allow people to get back to work. But you're still I'm addicted. A little out of the box, yeah. I also talk about heroin prescription. Heroin people who who take heroin tend to really like heroin and they often prefer it to fentanyl. So really if we're going to have a real discussion about solving this problem, we really need to talk about a range of different opiates that are available in some kind of medical context, in some kind of supervised setting, in the context of a health authority. Um, but yeah, people should have access at people who are addicted to heroin should have access to a wide range of opiates and other treatment options, which include Ibogaine and ayahuasca. Ayahuasca then, what can you tell me? Similar story um, or has it been um, researched as much as Ibogaine has? Um, Well, a very different story. So ayahuasca is a combination of two plants that comes out of the Amazon basin and again has been used ceremonially for centuries. And it's now with the globalization of many things, it is being exported to many countries and it's being understood as being a healing or a spiritual exploration tool. Mm-hmm. And it's even hit the popular media, various um, movies and um, television shows have observed ayahuasca in it. Um, the, the model is completely different. I mean, Ibogaine is really a one-shot deal. Nobody ever wants to go back, you know, and maybe twice, and you know, the most outrageous possibility is a third time, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Ayahuasca is being sort of understood within its community of something you actually do periodically. And the, the ceremonial aspect of it is, is probably half of the experience. You know, there's a healer that does a variety of ceremonial things that sort of engage people in a long-term healing process. So it, they're, they're actually completely different. Um, the, the similarity is they have long cultural roots and they're being offered for healing, but everything else really about them is different. Mm, okay, Dr. Hayden, just hold on here because I got a lot more questions as we look to find some solutions when we were talking about these, the opiate epidemic and the addiction that people have to them. Dr. Mark Hayden is a public health researcher at the University of British Columbia. I'm Angela Kokot. You're listening to Calgary Today on News Talk 770. Back after this. Uh, just talking about how do we get people off of opiate addictions? And I had seen an ar- article, rather, talking about, well, my guest Mark Hayden would call them psychedelic plants. Uh, we were talking about the iboga plant as well as the, oh, do I have to say it again, Aya. Waska. And I just wanted to play a clip here because if you uh, know of Chelsea Handler, she's a stand-up comic, but she had a recent show on Netflix, and I just want to play this because she tried the ayahuasca. I just think everybody abuses so many things. I certainly have. I want to show people what happens when you get f***ed up. I would never recommend that. No, nor would I. (laughs) When you've done a lot of damage to your brain, is it reversible? I'm just asking yeah. for a friend. Oh, for sure. I want to be the best version of myself that I can be. I'm going to Peru to do ayahuasca. That's supposed to be one of those transformative experiences. People say that it changes their life. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anything that's not your regular state of being is mind expanding, I think. Yeah. I am really f***ed up. My dog's, like, so judgmental. Canvas is a big business now. You're coming out of the line of weed, right? I'm trying to help test as much as I can. <laughs> 
And that's Chelsea Handler, and it was um, Chelsea Does Drugs. That last voice you heard was Willie Nelson. Mark Hayden, as I mentioned, is my guest this half hour, a public health researcher at the University of British Columbia. Not sure if you've seen that Netflix show, Mark, or not, where Chelsea Handler does ayahuasca. Actually, I didn't. You didn't. Well, in that yeah. one scene that people couldn't tell, she was actually throwing up. So yeah. uh, obviously it didn't work for her. So when we look at what are some of our options for getting people off of an addiction, especially an opiate addiction. Well, what, so let's go, let's go yeah, back and off just it. in terms of because she was throwing up, it didn't work for her. Um, ayahuasca tends to be a purgatory plant. In other words, many people vomit on it. Um, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. Um, the goal is actually to induce a process of healing in people. And sometimes, according to these ancient traditions, that actually vomiting is part of that. I know that sounds outrageous, but it's the way it is. Yeah, you're cleansing yourself, I guess. That's the I way mean, they talk about the it. The way yeah. they see it. So then where are we when it comes to research for options for people who are trying to kick an addiction? Well, the piece of research that I'm involved with today is looking at the effectiveness MDMA, methylene dioxide, methamphetamine, um, for post-traumatic stress disorder. So often underneath addiction is trauma. Um, it, I worked for the addiction services for 30 years, and I would say about 75% of the people that walked in the office had some kind of trauma background that led to their addictions. And if we can find a way of healing trauma, we've gone a long way down the path to helping this problem. And so far, it appears to be that MDMA-assisted psychotherapy is one of the most profound and effective ways of healing people with trauma. So that's the current status of the research, and we hope to have that as a legal, available process in about five years in Canada, because we're just starting our phase three clinical trial, which means that it will be a legal prescription drug when we finish. And it was a few months back, Mark, that I actually had you on my show talking about your research for MDMA. And, And maybe then there's the bigger conversation about how we have to legalize all drugs. I I often wonder, I know a lot of times when it comes to addiction, it is through a prescription painkiller that people then become addicted to that. But there is a whole other world out there of drugs that people get addicted to, and it's because of the criminal elements or the the drug dealers. Yes, I mean... A lot of my research is really exploring post-prohibition options for the regulation and control of all currently illegal drugs. Because our society is trying to find the balance. Because when we criminalize drugs, then what happens is we're actually giving them to organized crime to manage. And they certainly never, dealers never ask for age ID. So it's widely available and easily available to our children. If we give them to physicians who've been advertised and told these are wonderful things and promoted as a thing that they need to prescribe um, and driven by pharmaceutical agendas Mm. or pharmaceutical companies' agendas, and their agendas are, quite frankly, profit motive, we have a problem on both ends of the spectrum. So the public health approach is somewhere in between those two, and that's really my academic work, is articulating how do we do drugs as a society in ways that maximizes the benefit and minimizes the harms. I don't know if you can answer this, Mark, but one person says, could you ask your guests about the plant salvia? Same family of plants, I believe. Do you know anything about salvia to be able to pass on to my listener? Um, yes. No, salvia isn't related to either ibogaine or ayahuasca. It's a unique molecule. Um, it has been used um, throughout North America, mostly for recreational, not in a spiritual or a healing context. Um, but certainly it has been available for people recreationally for quite a few years. 
Another person says crystal meth is a good way to come off of heroin. You don't go through the withdrawals. You recover in a week or 10 days. Meth has no physical addiction, just a mental thing. The main thing is without drugs, life is hard to face. Same with alcoholics. Eh, Have you ever heard anything about crystal meth getting people off of heroin? Well, um, yes. Um, People... Often people who are on sedative drugs become attracted to stimulant drugs, and people who are on stimulant drugs become attracted to sedative drugs. Mm. Um, so people will alternate. In fact, if you go to a detox center, really what we're dealing with is chemical soup, you know, where people take all kinds of different drugs, often to manage the effects of the other drugs. So really putting it in the larger context is how do we actually help people to heal from these addictive processes um, and, and substituting a drug that has a pretty high degree of compulsivity with associated with it um, probably isn't the answer. Yeah, replacing one addiction with another. Uh, Mark, as always, thanks for your time. Hey, it's my pleasure, Angela. You bet. Mark Hayden, a public health researcher at the University of British Columbia. And now I want to take a break for news, but I definitely want to hear your thoughts because we just had the news conference, I think it was finally around 1.20, when Brian Jean and Jason Kenney managed to talk to reporters about their plan moving forward in the new party on the political right in our province. 403-974-8255. There's still a few huge hurdles for them to cross before that happens. But I want to get your opinion after this. 403-974-8255. Call or text. I'm Angela Cocott. You're listening to Calgary Today on News Talk 770. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott. Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.